Cannabis and CBD can help you achieve better wellness. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you realize that. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. Uh, this week, we have Dr. Benjamin Kaplan, founder of the CED Clinic and CED Foundation in Brookline, Massachusetts. He's a real leader in bringing cannabis into the doctor's office and figuring how to match it with all the terpenes and cannabinoids and all the various factors in the plant to the real needs of each patient. And it's a pharmacy unto itself is what he tells us. We're also going to talk about the entourage effect and how diet and exercise might be the real entourage effect. And we're also going to talk about vaping. Is it safe? What do you need to know if you want to vape? That and a lot more. If you like the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google or wherever you listen. And uh, please tell others about it as we're trying to spread the word and help others achieve wellness with this amazing plant. That's it. Let's jump into the show. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to the Cannaboomers podcast. Today, we're pleased to bring you Dr. Benjamin Kaplan, founder of the CED Clinic and CED Foundation in Brookline, Massachusetts. These organizations exist to shine a light upon research data and science which support medicinal cannabis's beneficial aspects. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kaplan. Hi, Tom. Thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It seems like you've put cannabis at the center of your medical practice. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a family doctor, but um, we live in a time where there's a lot of need around cannabis, and I decided to adjust so that I could be there to help. As far as I know, I, I haven't seen anybody embrace cannabis anyone in the medical community embrace it quite as publicly as, as you have? Are you sort of an outlier? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I've always been a doctor who, who marches to my own beat. Um, I come from a medical family that comes from the old school when doctors used to spend more time with their patients, um, have more personal relationships and listen more. Um, so after years of schooling, when I had my own primary care practice, I spent a lot of time listening to my patients. Um, one of the consistent themes, whether people were dealing with terrible pain or trouble sleeping, anxiety, depression, was that almost all of the people who were open about their cannabis use with me were telling me that it was helping them. Um, and I, you know, I grew up in the same culture that everybody else did. Um, we were brought up believing that cannabis was a bad substance only for druggies and people who were you know, prepared to flush their lives down the toilet. Um, I had the same silly old grandparents who told me that marijuana was the path to cocaine and heroin and a life in the slums. Um, even more, actually, in medical school, cannabis was taught as part of the addiction curriculum. Um, it wasn't about helping people. There was almost nothing positive. Um, and so here I am in a, in a clinic where my patients are telling me one thing, the books are telling me, something different. Even my, my medical teachers are telling me something different. Um, but then when I did my own research, um, you know, when I looked at the history and when I looked at, at the books and, and the chemistry around cannabinoids, lo and behold, just about everything I'd learned was complete baloney. Um, ultimately, the story of cannabis was um, motivated by a racist and political agenda. It's built from sort of greed and and a completely um, polarized agenda that, that, that wasn't anything scientific or true. I'm in awe of the courage it took to step out from a very traditional sort of profession and kind of 
position yourself in a way that had to attract some negative attention. But yeah, everything you're saying, the endocannabinoid system that that was discovered and kind of swimming against the stream of 80 years of propaganda mm-hmm. um, it took a lot of, of gumption, I'm sure. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I definitely got my share of side eyes and, and doctors who looked um, down on me for what I was doing. But ironically, almost all of those same doctors are now saying, hey, I want involved. Um, this seems pretty interesting. Do you see the tide turning that way? Is, is there a, a surge of interest in cannabis as, as a medicine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, about two and a half years ago, um, the patients who would come to me were sort of embarrassed about talking to their doctors. Um, you know, they were afraid of, of judgment. They were afraid of the doctors telling them basically what we've been trained to tell people, which is that you should get off of that, that junk and you should go on something that's pharmaceutical. Um, but in the last two and a half years, it, it evolved slowly to, well, my doctor doesn't really care, but wants me to do whatever I want. And that soon changed to, you know, actually, my doctor thought maybe I should try this, that I, I haven't succeeded with some other medicines. And maybe there's there's something to this. And then even just recently, in the last, I would say, eight or 10 months, um, I'm starting to see the doctors come in because their most difficult patients are getting better. Um, and it's sort of flabbergasting to even the clinicians because it's just so different from what we were taught. Tell me how it works in practice. I mean, you have a clinic and a foundation. How do you integrate cannabis into these organizations? Um, so the Seed Clinic is really an organization built around patient care. Um, just like a regular doctor office visit, um, patients who are curious about cannabis or are referred by their doctors um, come to me and, and I get a little bit of medical history before we come in so I know what they're, what they're dealing with. But we always start from scratch and they tell me what's going on and, and we kind of look at their concerns through a cannabis lens. Um, cannabis is, a, is more of a pharmacy than a particular drug. Um, so the more we know about cannabis, the more we can apply it to many different concerns. Um, and everybody's different with their concerns. So it takes an individual agenda. Um, differently, the Seed Foundation is about a larger patient care view. Um, individuals you know, benefit from personalized medicine. But what about the whole industry? What about the pharmaceutical companies that don't know anything about cannabis or the politicians or the regulatory bodies or even the, 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 the industry leaders, um, you know, a lot of the companies that are producing cannabis right now don't know much about it. Um, they know that there's money there and that interests them, but they don't know much about the rest of the plant. Um, for thousands of years, people have seen cannabis as all about THC, this, um, this molecule that makes people high. Um, in, in, in the pharmacy of cannabis, this is maybe the toothpaste. I mean, you look down the other aisles, you have toilet paper, you have cereal, you have, there's so many other components of cannabis in the pharmacy um, that looking at just THC is, is a little bit silly. So the, the clinic is sort of for individual attention and mm-hmm. the foundation is more of an activist arm. Is that what you're telling me? Um, it's activist sort of suggests that it's kind of rah-rah pro-cannabis. And I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that. I think we're in, this, in the foundation, we're looking at the research. So we're, we're, we have an archive of all of the cannabis literature that's been published. And, and we make that publicly available and free to, to all patients um, and doctors or whoever else wants to read it. Um, so it's about research that has been done. It's also about research which we can do moving forward. Um, when a company has a cannabis product and they want to see if it's actually doing what they, they think it want, uh, what they think it is doing or what they want it to do, 
um, they can have a, what's called a clinical trial. Um, they can bring it to patients in an educated, informed way. And we learn from patients from their feedback whether the product is actually helping or not or doing things that we weren't expecting it to do. Um, okay. Clinical so trials also. Kind of a research arm. Yeah. Um, and then on top of the research arm, we have the education I was mentioning before, that it's, it's about teaching whoever we can teach. Um, the foundation actually also has a formulation development you know, department. When we are learning about this stuff, when we're researching it and we're teaching about it, we're basically creating an opportunity to be able to put this education into practice. Um, so we have a pharmacist and a biochemistry team um, that puts together what we're learning into practical use case products. We should tell our listeners, and I'm sure you're clear, cannabis is not a panacea. It's not the cure for everything, but it can be integrated with a lot of different approaches. For sure, sure. I mean, I think if, if, if again, if we think about cannabis as a whole pharmacy, there's probably something on aisle A or B that might help you, but aisle C probably you don't need and you would skip over that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's all about personalizing this this factory. You know, people see cannabis as, as just one um, pr product, but it's actually it's actually a a whole machinery, a whole, whole machine of of natural compounds. Um, you know, then the 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 smell from a lemon um, or a citrus fruit uh, is a compound called limonene that's produced in cannabis. The smell from a pepper on our table when we're cracking pepper. That's called beta-caryophyllin. That's also in cannabis. Um, and, and, and similarly, you could go along a list of close to six or 700 compounds that this one tiny plant produces. And what's your sense of how far we are into knowing the total picture of this? I mean, are, is our knowledge just scratching the surface? Are we 50%? What do you think, think this if, plant really holds? That's a great question. I think if we were um, trying to build a car, we are barely learning how to make a wing nut. Um, we're <laughs> so far from the end goal. Um, you know, right now the industry is kind of wrapping its mind around THC and CBD. Um, everybody is seeing CBD now at Whole Foods and CVS and 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 on the corner. Um, right. But it's even everywhere. among just the cannabinoids, you know, there are probably another ninety or a hundred compounds, and then beyond cannabinoids, there, there are molecules that we're calling terpenoids, um, which are the, the things I was referring to before, these, these other compounds that nature produces. Um, and it looks like there are, you know, a few hundred, six, seven hundred terpenes. Um, and then even beyond those, there are other compounds called flavonoids. Um, and it looks like there's a, there's a whole bunch of those. So we're really, we're, we're at ground zero at this point. It's tremendously complex, and I've talked with other guests about the fact that our genetic makeup uh, can determine the efficacy of certain compounds and, and terpenes as well. It's it's a huge matrix that uh, definitely requires uh, the the kind of focused attention that a doctor like you can bring to it. Right, right. I mean, there's there's a lot of complexity about the plant, but then people as individuals have complexity, and it's not just what they're born with, but what access to you know resources they have. Um, how hydrated they are, how exercised they are, um, you know, what kind of diet they have. All of these, all of these things play play a, a role. And the effective use of cannabis is really a matching process. It's not just the plant doing something magical. It's it's the person who's taking that plant, treating themselves with with good habits, um, you know, taking other medicines as those are appropriate, and fitting cannabis in where it can be most helpful. Well, and something you said uh, when we first started talking was you listened to your patients as they came in. 
cannabis lends itself to a sort of holistic approach where the patient also listens to their own body more so than maybe in other doctor-patient models. Exactly. This is actually one of the major things that that attracted me to cannabis medicine as a, as a field is the philosophy of practice is different. Um, we are used to a medical industry which is all about someone else's control. Um, it used to be that you know a shaman would do a dance and and hopefully you got better, um, and that changed eventually to a doctor who knew about lots of different things and he would tell you what was good for you. Um, and even even this century, you know, we we have a what's called the patient centered medical home where your doctors and, and your specialists are kind of working with you arm in arm toward a common goal. Um, but cannabis is really coming the opposite extreme where it's all about the individual deciding what is best for them. Um, we know this product is, is safe. You can't really hurt yourself. So with that as the foundation, the doctor is there to guide you, to, to teach you. Um, and then you get to decide kind of on Monday what works for you, which might be different than Tuesday or Saturday night. Um, mm-hmm. And this opportunity is is really special. You know, I think any of us that can look back on our own success, feeling like we did it, is so much more rewarding than, well, I got the right doctor or, you know, someone else told me to do the right thing. Do you see this becoming a specialty? You know, the way that we have an OBGYN or a pediatrician, will there be a, a cannabis specialist doctor? Yes, um, I'm actually working, I have the privilege of working on this very topic with um some of the medical industry leaders in Massachusetts. Um, you know, we're, we're not really talking about very much yet. It's, it's all kind of under the radar, but we are working on the way this would happen. Um, some of the possibilities are that, you know, certain doctors would be certified. Um, you know, we have sort of certificates of adolescent addiction kind of medicine. Um, we also have other unique specialties like dermatology or rheumatology. Um, mm-hmm. Cannabis as a medicine interacts with so many different systems. Um, because we have cannabinoid receptors all over our bodies, um, that it's it's an interesting, different sort of aspect of medicine. And I think we're going to have to figure out kind of what works best for the whole industry as it is. Are uh, medical schools on, on board with sort of that kind of certification? Not even close. <laughs> um, medical schools are, are sorely um, behind, um, but actually... You know, as, as sort of frustrating as that is for someone like me, who's, who's sort of seen the depth and possibility of cannabis, it's actually a good thing. Um, when we, as healthcare providers, move too quickly, we are persuaded by fads and, and what's called the zeitgeist, the kind of um, way of the culture. Um, and we don't want medicine to swing too quickly because people can really be hurt. Um, you know, physicians and, and other healthcare providers are looked to as professionals of, of patience and of trustworthiness. And if we move too quickly with things that we don't know very much about, um, we might mislead people and, and, and invalidate that trust. So I think it's good that things move slowly. But I also think that if people were paying more attention, they would realize actually that we do have a lot of research about cannabis that um, I think we've passed the time where it should be incorporated. But I am glad that at least we're moving diligently. I had a guest last week and we talked about some of the, the things in motion here, the culture, uh, the government, commerce. There's a lot that's happened. And like you say, there's almost a whiplash. I mean, CBD came on the scene three or four years ago in a big way, and now mm-hmm. it's everywhere. It's going to take some time for the medical establishment, which I assume is pretty traditional, necessarily so, to kind of catch up. 
Yeah, yeah, no, and actually CBD is a great example. We've seen it on the finance side. You know, these companies that are getting into CBD, you know, on 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 one month do wildly, you know, successfully, um, and then you know a little while later they start tanking, and we're seeing the market um, with its its vacillating ups and downs. Um, but similarly, on the patient end of things, when people are trying CBD, um, you know, how, there's no real publicity around how they're liking it. Um, and I happen to see a lot of these patients in my clinic and they, they've tried CBD and, and, th and they're actually totally underwhelmed that this isn't really doing what they thought it was. It's certainly not doing what the commercials are telling them it's doing um, because CBD in and of itself is is not that effective. Um, you know, when when we talk about all of these wonderful aspects about cannabis, one of the things that hopefully gets included is a synergistic effect um, that each of these individual compounds doesn't work as well as when you have more than one together. Um, it's a concept that the cannabis industry has, has wrapped around the term the entourage effect um, as a group effect. Um, but the CBD, which is legal to sell um, on all the corner stores, is actually almost entirely pure CBD. Um, and when we look at that, when we have um, seen that in studies, it, it is almost never as good as when it's combined with other compounds. A full spectrum CBD product. Mm -hmm. Even full spectrum as a term is um, in traditional form in American uh, culture, American commercial culture, um, full spectrum is, is used as a term online. When people are looking for CBD, they look for isolate um, or they'll see purified CBD um, or they'll see quote unquote full spectrum. Um, but the full spectrum is really... Um, might include 0.03% THC, which is the legal limit, uh, but that's hardly what I, what I would call a full spectrum. That it's a trace amount that might not have efficacy. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I, the truth is, it does have better efficacy than than the purified versions, um, but it's yeah. still not as good as when um, there are greater amounts of the other cannabinoids. Well, and then to kind of wrap together what we talked about, the holistic approach and listening to your body, and, and you also mentioned, I think, exercise and diet. I mean, that's the real triumvirate of the entourage effect and, and wellness. And that's where if CBD is underwhelming by itself, maybe you need to pay attention to your diet and, and exercise. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, we always, in our culture, we sort of dream about this um, holy grail or, or this mountain, this fountain of youth. Um, but Cannabinoid medicine, just like any other medicine, is, is not a cure in and of itself. It's a combination of healthy well-being. Another metaphor might be a three-legged stool. You've got your diet and your exercise, and then, then you're fine-tuning your endocannabinoid system, maybe. Exactly. You know, I've noticed that you're pretty savvy online. You're putting out some great videos lately, and I saw one recently about vaping. And there's a lot of questions about vaping. And actually, it's in the news. I don't know if you saw it in the last week been a spate of uh, emergency room visits all around the country that got people's attention. Let's talk about the safety of, of vaping as a delivery mechanism. How do you certainly. see that? Um, certainly. So if, if people are interested, if your audience is interested, um, I host all of um, my videos in a single YouTube channel. Um, and you can get to the playlist at the following address. It's at tinyurl.com slash cedtube. Um, that's c-e-d-t-u-b-e. Um, and you'll see videos that are on um, history and that are on do-it-yourself sort of education and things about the culture. And, and um, we certainly do questions and answers and frequently ask questions. Um, one of the videos that you're referring to is about vaping. Um, and 
part of the misunderstanding about cannabis is that it's only smoked. That when you think about smoking, it's or you think about weed, it's smoking weed. Um, vaping is uh, vastly more healthy um, and also more cost effective. Um, people aren't aware that the temperature of flame, when when you'd be lighting a joint or a bowl or a pipe, the temperature is close to two thousand degrees Fahrenheit, and that is between four and ten times the temperature that would be necessary to boil the active components in cannabis into our bodies. Um, so really, one is just incinerating what you pay for, um, and you lose about eighty-eight percent of what you might have purchased. Wow. Um, so vaping, yeah, is is a, is a, is a really uh, different ballpark. Um, but it is not coast is clear um, because vaping includes the opportunity for people to produce vapor pens in their in their own way, which is not the same as the medical cannabis industry. Um, right now, we have a established industry. You know, states have state sponsored facilities which are producing healthy um, cannabis material that is tested and produced in a way which is clean, free of bacteria, mold, pesticides, nothing that is nefarious. Um, but we live in a free country and, and people have um, the ability to grow on their own and, and to produce their own materials. Um, the ability to buy vapor pen cartridges is, is available anywhere and you can buy labels actually that can be um, very convincing that they come from somewhere that's established. Um, but people don't always um, test what they're doing. They don't always know what they're putting in. Um, and it certainly might not be um, healthy. And one of the things that we see is that when people are vaporizing uh, fat compounds or oil, um, which is sometimes used to dissolve cannabis, um, you know, if you took cannabis in pure concentrate, it can be quite sticky. Um, it's not easily heated. Um, it's not amenable to a vapor pen that functions smoothly. Um, so when someone is using an oil to dilute their cannabis, um, what that translates to in, in a medical sort of setting is either lipid pneumonia, lipid being fat and pneumonia being, you know, the illness of, of, of lungs. Um, but we can also see pulmonary fibrosis, which is, um, basically the body trying to fix material that doesn't belong in the lungs. Um, and the emergency room will catch some of those, um, those illnesses as they come in. And, and then of course the news kind of broadcasts it. Um, but it's important for people to remember that um, most of these vapor cases are not coming from the established industry. Um, they're coming from homemade um, and not checked materials. You know, I've seen people on Twitter asking, asking the question, is it okay to go into a dispensary and get a vape pen? I know PG, propylene glycol. There's um, polyethylene glycol too, PEG. Um, and vegetable glycerin that are all used as dilutant. Do you consider those safe? I mean, what, I, what I've heard one of my podcast guests told me, when you put CD, CBD in its pure state, it's crystalline. So you need a carrier liquid. And yeah. that's why they use PG and some of these other things. Um, you see some MCT oil. I understand the need for an oil. Is there a safe oil? Or are you better off with a dry vaporizer and vaping it right from the flower? Um so there are lots of lots of delicious questions in there. Um, <laughs> there are there are lots of safe oils that can be used as solvents for for cannabis, um, and the ones you mentioned, vegetable glycerin, propylene glycol, um, polyethylene glycol, are commonly used. Um, but actually, over in the last five years, um, the California market, the West Coast market, stopped using those, um, and they were really adapting technology to be able to vaporize pure cannabis in a way that was 
um, not too sticky and not too cumbersome for the consumer. Um, the East Coast market took a little bit of time, but in the last um, year or so, almost all of the dispensaries have gotten away with uh, removing all of the uh, solvents. Um, the truth is that they, they, they haven't been shown to be um, damaging. You know, people have seen things like um, butane, which is part of the freezing process to get the active ingredients off of cannabis, the flower into cannabis, the concentrate. People have seen that word butane and are worried about inhaling butane. Um, and similarly, carbon monoxide is used. Um, but all of these sort of scary sounding chemicals are, are, are nowhere near the end product um, that we would be inhaling. Um, so the, the, the sort of level of, of concern, which I think is wonderful for a new industry, we should also all be skeptical. Um, but the reality is that these things are not harmful. Um, and on the other hand, they are not always um, well liked. Um, you know, people who have come to me and, and have been using vegetable glycerin or, or propylene glycol pens um, have found them irritating. Um, that when these compounds are heated, although they're not harmful, they can be irritating to um, one's throat, um, which is partly why the industry has moved away from them. They're not necessarily unsafe, but they, they could be irritating. Uh, so, uh, you know, moderation, I guess, is a good idea. Yeah, always a good idea. Um, mm -hmm. You know, to, to that end, you know, people have, um, people have feared smoking um, and, and, and felt like um, that it is, you know, that it should be demonized as well. And I think um, similarly, you know, smoking is not healthy. Um, that's clear. It's much healthier to be vaporizing. Um, but the truth is always somewhere in the middle and, and smoking cannabis is not the end of the world. Um, you know, once in a while, um, is not going to hurt someone the same way that breathing, um, car exhaust once in a while is not going to, you know, kill you. Uh, but as much as you can avoid it, the better. Okay. You're not too alarmed by vape pens. Do you counsel people to do their homework and, and make sure that it's above board? I mean, you know, when you talk about some of the homemade ones, I would never buy a CBD pen from a gas station. Um, I, I would rather know what I'm getting and, and do a little online research first. Yeah, thank you for asking the question. I think one of the things that I should have been more clear with is what we've been talking about is vaporizing concentrates. Um, mm -hmm. Vapor pens is a tool which, which helps you vaporize quickly and efficiently the cannabis concentrate. Mm -hmm. um, although the material inside vapor pens might be well tested if you buy it from a dispensary it might be pure and safe the actual machine the whatever it is two dollar piece of chinese plastic um, in which the cartridge is placed in, in which the cannabis is placed is not well tested um, and what we see in labs in california and in massachusetts is that sometimes there are particles of the material that the cartridge is made of which can be aerosolized so we're seeing sometimes heavy metals coming from these cartridges. Um, and that stuff, we really, we don't know that it would be um, necessarily harmful, but we don't know that it's good either. Um, so I think the choice to vaporize also comes with an option, which is a vaporizer oven, um, which is a, a tool that you can buy. It's usually between a hundred and say four or $500, um, depending on the portability, depending on the other um, bells and whistles that it comes with. Um, but most of these devices, you can put either cannabis flour inside or you can put cannabis concentrate inside. And they're sort of mini toaster ovens. You can heat them up to certain degrees. You can heat them up to sections of degrees, high, low, and medium. Um, 
and then you have various mouthpieces, whether they're glass or plastic or metal, where you can be inhaling whatever you want to be heating up. Um, that's really what I would call the safest option for vaporizing. Um, and it's also the wave of the future for cannabis consumption. Um, right now, because we don't have access to high technology that's producing individual cannabinoids and individual terpenes, what we can do is use our knowledge, use our science to understand that each of these different components inside cannabis can be boiling, can be heated to a certain temperature and create different medicine at different temperatures. In other words, if you heat up cannabis to 338, that happens to be the average boiling temperature for CBD. So if you have a product that you bought from a dispensary, whether it's concentrated full spectrum or it's a whole plant, heating up at that temperature tends to boil more, more, more readily CBD than other compounds which might need a higher temperature to start boiling. So for example, right. there's another compound called THCV, tetrahydrocannabivarin, which has some interesting properties that are different than THC and CBD, but that compound requires a higher temperature to start boiling. Um, mm -hmm. So if you had a device at home, you could crank it up to about 428, and then you get THCV boiling, which might be different than other compounds. I have a Da Vinci vaporizer that allows me to do that mm -hmm. uh, with dry flour. When you say concentrate, do you mean liquid, or are we talking about wax, or what do you mean by concentrate? When you take the cannabis flower and you zoom in under a microscope, you're going to see mini volcanoes of pharmaceuticals, sort of mini wax houses around a bloodline of, of cannabinoids and terpenes that the cannabis is producing. Um, if we could magically vacuum all of those um, pharmaceutical volcanoes off um, and you put them into a pile, you would get what's called keef. Um, it's sort of the pollen of, of cannabis. Um, when we compress keef in a lab, you might get wax, you might get um, different forms of sticky, concentrated cannabis material. Um, all of these kind of different forms, and there are many, depending on how sticky it is, um, these are called concentrates. And modern dispensaries sell both flour and all manner of concentrates. It gets complex. I mean, when you talk about uh, a mini volcano of, of pharmaceutical um, substance and then, and then begin to pull it apart and say, mm -hmm. this is good for that, this is good for that, um, I, I can see how complex it gets. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And I think it's, it's so different than the past image of cannabis. Um, but you can also imagine how enticing it is for pharmaceutical companies um, that they see, oh, wow, there are people with arthritis who are feeling you know, more comfortable. There are people who are getting better sleep. Maybe we should tap into this and, and make some money. Um, but the interesting irony, um, as we were talking about before, about the entourage effect, is that the system for producing a pharmaceutical in this country really requires the minimal number of components um, so that the government agencies can check to make sure that the company is producing what they say they're producing. Um, if you have too many ingredients, it's harder to say, you know, well, it's X that's doing that or Y that's doing that. Um, so almost by nature's force, um, the natural products are better than what the pharmaceutical companies are able to produce. This veers off into an area that's over my head, but the pharmaceutical companies want to be able to patent something and it, this is a plant. Can can they put patents on CBD or CBG or THCV or, you know, how does that work? Yeah. So actually, believe it or not, the U.S. government has a patent on the neuroprotective effects um, of cannabinoids from many, many years ago. Um, so there are, um, I mean, I'm not a patent lawyer, but there are components of the processing of, of these 
compounds which can be patented. Um, the plant itself, I believe, cannot. Um, but perhaps a method of growing the, the product or extracting it could be. Theoretically, you could see a pharmaceutical company owning a certain process through which one of these cannabinoids is isolated and delivered. Yes, yes. But fortunately, we're seeing already an industry which is rich of many, many different methods. Um, there are folks who are using um, carbon monoxide. There are folks who are using what's called uh, frozen ethanol or cryogenic ethanol to extract the components of, of cannabis. We're also seeing people who are not using solvents at all. Um, there are many, many different types of processing um, that are producing the same kind of result. So do you see sort of a wave of innovation coming? You know, I was at the dispensary yesterday and for the first time I saw a topical, a, a patch, mm -hmm. a CBD patch. So I bought one. I don't have any pain yet, fortunately, mm -hmm. but I'm looking forward to trying it and seeing if it works. Do you see other innovations? I mean, there's, we have sublingual tinctures, we have balms. Uh, are we going to see nasal sprays and eye drops and other things? Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely seeing a massive boom in opportunity. Um, you know, in the American way, people see um, an opportunity to make money and they, the innovation is, is certainly stimulated. Um, the current most popular methods of consuming are still smoking flour, um, but vapor pens are coming along and edibles are certainly popular. Um, but outside the, the sort of usual bunch, we also have things like natural inhalers, um, like you might see someone with asthma using. Um, we have suppositories, um, both for vaginal or, or rectal use. Um, we also have, as you mentioned, patches um, and topical creams that people love. Um, there is a product that has, um, like it's an eye drop um, of cannabinoids, and we certainly have tinctures that people can use um, under their tongue or can swallow. Um, people use pills, um, capsules, um, almost every other form that you can imagine people are looking into. Um, mm -hmm. The difference between all of these different forms is really how is the body engaging with the cannabis. Um, if you're breathing something, because your lungs um, offer such a large surface area, um, you have a, a huge amount of blood which is immediately exposed to the cannabinoids and they work very quickly, um, which is different than if you swallow it, if you're eating it. Um, it has to digest, it has to process in your stomach and your, your GI tract. Um, it can take some time to start working. Um, but when people are eating cannabis, it also can then last for a lot longer. Um, so the choice as someone is learning about cannabis is, you know, between the different methods, the choice is about how long do I want this to last? Right. Another wrinkle to this very versatile plant. I mean, you, you can have almost instant relief bypassing your digestive system and liver and everything if you vape and in a more lasting experience by ingesting a capsule. Exactly. Back to the sort of wellness aspect of this, you know, we talked about exercise and diet and a kind of fine-tuning the endocannabinoid system. From your perspective, does it make sense to think about cannabis as possibly preventative, maybe a supplement that you take as you age that is anti-inflammatory and, and possibly helps with some of the those inflammatory diseases that get us as we age? Yes, no doubt. Um, you know, most of us grew up with grandparents who advised that we should eat lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, and it so happens that Cannabis is producing a lot of those compounds which are healthy inside fruits and vegetables. Um, so it's easy to see that consuming cannabis is a sort of method of taking those same healthy compounds. Almost like a vitamin. Almost like a vitamin, right. And again, because we all have different genetic makeups and different habits, it, it would be hard to say well, this is how you should do it. But do you see it as, you know, one toke a day or a capsule a day? Or is there any sort of prescriptive advice you could, you could give us there? Yeah, we're not, we're not really at that 
at that stage. That kind of question would be a little bit like take something from aisle A or something from aisle B. Um, we have no idea, you know, the, the level of detail about the product, let alone the matching of an individual to be able to say one size fits all. Uh, but that's an interesting lesson for what we really have as mainstream medicine today. You know, when you, we go into a doctor, if you have, say, depression, um, the idea that one pill is a good place to start for everybody is a little bit of a silly proposition. Um, the medicines that we use in Western medicine are studied, you know, rigorously, but they're they're averaged in 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 what are called randomized control trials or um, or meta analyses reviews. Um, but they don't actually apply to one individual um, who might not be able to take something in the morning or might be exercising in the afternoon. You know, there are sort of individual characteristics that make medicine um, really need to be something that's personalized. And the same is true right. of cannabis. Right. And like we talked about earlier, this is sort of a holistic approach where it requires you to listen to your body and may maybe have a conversation with a cannabis-friendly doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, 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 the unfortunate truth is we're still in a very stigmatized culture, um, that even the cannabis physicians, um, who are out there are still learning, um, as am I. And, and the more that we can all help each other, um, that is patients teaching their doctors about what their experience has been and doctors and patients all continuing to learn. I think we all benefit together as a, as a culture. It is kind of a crazy moment. I mean, in a lot of places, in a lot of industries, you, you're still drug tested and, they're testing for cannabis and the notion that you could find a doctor who would help you make sense of it. Um, it's, it's a uh, hard to wrap your head around that. Right. It's, it's an unfortunate reality. Um, you know, the truth is I think today there are only three States that have a Supreme court ruling protecting them as medical patients from, um, adverse judgment in an employment scenario, meaning being fired for using cannabis or testing, excuse me, mm -hmm. testing positive. But there are people available. You know, these days we have the internet, and if people were interested in in communicating with me, I have a telemedicine group. Um, I have a couple of nurse practitioners that I work with who also um, can help manage the volume that we get. But there are physicians everywhere that are interested in helping. Um, and I think the first step is for patients who are interested to look out and see kind of what resources they have locally. Great. We'll get that in the show notes for people who are interested. If you have resources where they can uh, ask questions and and uh you know, maybe find a, find a doctor who's cannabis friendly. Certainly. Yeah. I have, um, you know, I have a couple major resources that I think people would find helpful. Um, the, the video playlist I mentioned earlier at tinyurl.com slash CED tube. Um, I also have, um, a massive archive of cannabis literature, um, where if people are interested in reading the primary literature, the studies that are coming out about all manner of cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, and even methods of production, that's available at tinyurl.com slash Dr. Kaplan, D-R-C-A-P-L-A-N. Um, I also have a blog that takes those complicated medical um, journals and translates them into jargon-free um, impressions. Um, and that's my, my, my blog at cedfoundation.com slash blog. Um, and we try to put out um, as much as we can that's coming out almost every day. Um, so if people are interested in reading um, paragraphs or looking at infographic images or even watching the videos, um, that's that's the place where everything comes through. When you think about how cannabis can promote wellness in individuals uh, and how that could affect us all if we are able to scale that up into our healthcare system. I mean, our, our healthcare system is, I think most people would agree, it's kind of badly broken. Um, so if there was a way to really spread this knowledge and, and get people to take responsibility for their own health. 
What do you think the impact could be? Oh, boy, I think it's wonderful. I mean, when we see anybody taking control of their own circumstances, um, even when they stumble, they still feel like they are in control. Um, and it's, it's, I would agree that the medical system we have is, is quite broken. Um, and not only is it frustrating to go to doctors who might not be listening, but you know, maybe they're hustling you in and out. Um, they're sending you to another doctor and another doctor. And for people who are, who are suffering with an, with a chronic illness or with pain that, that is really disabling, um, it's so nice to be able to have some control and, 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 you know, assert your own autonomy, um, and to have an option for people. Um, I think the proof is in the pudding almost, um, 80 to 90% of the people that come in and, and engage with cannabis feel like it's helping them in some way. Um, but it is not instant. You know, this is not a, a panacea, as you mentioned earlier. It's, it's a learning process. Um, and a lot of people take sometimes a year or two years to really get the hang of things. Um, but to have control over that is really a wonderful. Is, is there anything happening in, in the research that excites you right now? Many things. Um, <laughs> the, the research around cannabis is, is really exploding. Um, you know, I think we're starting to see private companies succeed and they can fund some research, um, but we're also starting to see um, ingenuity um, because there's sort of money at the end of the, and at the end of the road, we're starting to see like there's a company in, in San Diego and Massachusetts that is doing um, manipulation of, of bacteria and yeast to be able to produce cannabinoids biologically, but not from a plant. Um, we're starting to see people um, work in a lab to be able to create um, compounds that you know people might be able to mass produce without a plant. Um, you know, of course, we're seeing plenty of new um, farmers and growers looking at ways of growing indoors or outdoors or in greenhouses. Um, there's lots of of wonderful research and and momentum going forward. Um, but unfortunately, actually, from the top down, cannabis is still a Schedule One substance, meaning it has no medical value at all, according to the government's um, stipulation. Um, so that really is a major barrier for, for a lot of people, um, who depend on government, government subsidized research. Um, and I think that's probably a tough nut to crack. Um, my team is working on it, um, to try to figure out ways that we can engage with cannabis, um, and maybe help researchers, um, with their goals without going through, um, government subsidies. But, um, you know, truly, the ingenuity is coming from the private side at this point. It is, again, a weird moment in time where the culture and people out in society have realized the value of this, but our, our political, uh, legal, I guess, medical systems haven't fully caught up to the reality that people want more of this medicine. Right, right. And I think that gets back to, you know, a lack of listening and a lack of um, preparedness. Um, but I think the um, the people have spoken, and and one you know thankfully you know Mary Jane is talking to her cousin, and and Uncle Joe is talking to to his employee, and people are really opening up about it in a human way, which is helping um, helping one another. One more question that uh, occurs to me: What does the CED stand for in in your clinic and foundation name? Um, so there's actually a macron over the e, um, and it's it's playfully pronounced seed. Ah, okay. Um, but the, uh, the acronym does stand for something, and I, and I would leave it up to your audience to be able to guess. It's a little bit of a fun mystery um, that we haven't publicized on purpose. Okay. Uh, so there's some intrigue. I'm sure there's cannabis, um, maybe education. I'm not sure. But um, mm. we'll, we'll let the audience uh, play with that. Sounds good. Where should we find you online? Yeah, the most um, 
the most um, the most complete option for um, ac accessing the information I'm putting out there is the is the Seed Foundation blog. That's cedfoundation.com/blog. Um, Twitter is also um, an easy way to to shoot me a note if you have questions or to start a dialogue in public. Um, one of the nice things about this cannabis sort of revolution is that people are talking about it. Um, and the more that we can ask questions, the more that we can engage with other people who might have differences of opinions and, and be able to learn from one another, I think the better. Um, my Twitter handle is at Dr. Kaplan, so at D-R-C-A-P-L-A-N. Um, we also have a Facebook page, um, which I think is facebook.com slash CED clinic. Um, and we have an Instagram account. Um, so we're out there. Anybody that wants to find us certainly can. Um, most of the information is going to be similar across the different platforms. Um, so whatever you're comfortable with um, to learn is is what is best. That's great. It's great to be so public and leading the charge because it's definitely needed and, and appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. No, I think we're all learning. And, and the more that we can be open about the humble process of learning, the better. Absolutely. Well, thanks for taking the time on a, on a Sunday. We appreciate it. We will see you online. Thanks a lot, Tom. I appreciate it. Thanks. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.